0: From the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast, this is Ag Day.
1: The power of protein. Once they get a cold chain, it's probably gonna be a really good market. Michelle Rook continues her special report on efforts to open up Morocco to more U.S. soybeans. You've heard the one about the chicken and the egg, but what about the chicken, the egg, and the feed? We debunk the
0: latest theories as a brand new cattle report goes live. As long as it tells us in more detail of what's going on, I think it's, it's, it's worthwhile from a transparency standpoint.
1: Will it give producers the transparency they want it right now on Ag Day? Good morning, I'm Clint Griffiths. happening right now. The new Cattle Contracts Library is officially online. We told you last week about the new program that many hope will improve price transparency in the market. Well, Day's Michelle Rook is continuing to cover this. And Michelle, what will producers see in this report?
2: The Cattle Contract Library requires packers to provide contract information for the purchase of cattle as well as the number of actual and estimated cattle purchases under active contracts. The Agricultural Marketing Service then aggregates that data on a national level for this report. The focus of the USDA report is on base price source, base price adjustments, contract specifications, premiums, discounts, and volumes. Iowa cattle producer and commodity analyst Brad Coima provided input on the library. He says with only 180 contracts in the first report, there wasn't enough info to make a blanket statement, but he doesn't think the data was detailed enough. Now on the pie chart, he notes... The 4.4 percent are designated as top of the market, which is the non-value alternative marketing arrangements, but he thinks that number is typically much higher. On the second page, he says they asked to see the base price, plus or minus the premium or discount the feedlot is getting for quality, and the sum would be the net price. However, that is not what is displayed on this report. Prima hopes it will get better as data accumulates and they can tweak it to allow those selling in the negotiated market to know more about what other arrangements are out there setting price. So if I'm
0: a cash cattle negotiator like I am, everybody knows what I got for my cash cattle. It's posted, right? Why can't we know what the formula deals are? I mean, That's how simple it is to me. Now maybe there's others that make it more complicated.
2: Coima says cattle producers and NCBA anticipated some changes would be needed and that last week's convention put together a working group to make suggestions.
0: Work with it, try to tweak it, try to improve it, try to modify it, you know, I mean, let's make this as useful as possible. Uh, there is some pushback from those that don't want people to know what their uh, formulas look like, but uh, I, I, think, I think we're going to get beyond that. I, as long as it tells us in more detail of what's going on, I think it's, it's, it's worthwhile from a transparency standpoint.
2: Longer term, the goal is to have this library information provide enhanced signals to producers with respect to demand and supply for cattle to improve their marketing and, hopefully, price. Now, remember, this week's report reflects the last week of January, and the first half of the month is when packers usually pull more of the formula cattle for slaughter. So, hopefully, there will be more data in the report in the next two weeks.
1: All right, thanks, Michelle. We're waiting to see what impact a powerful earthquake that rocked Turkey will have on grain and ag exports out of the country, the 7.8 magnitude quake. Rocked Turkey and neighboring Syria. Early estimates say 2,300 people have died, but thousands more were injured. That number is expected to grow. It toppled hundreds of buildings and trapped people under mounds of rubble or pancake floors. Now, major aftershocks continue to rattle the region. Turkey is the largest exporter of flour in the world. There's a chance for severe weather in Texas today, while more snow
3: is on the way for the Rockies. Meteorologist Andrew Widmeyer joins us with more. And it will be an active week across certain parts of the country here as we go throughout this uh, full week here. And it all starts uh, for today, for Tuesday, with a severe weather threat down across the southeastern portion of Texas, as well as uh, much of Louisiana will have the potential for heavy downpours, some damaging wind gusts, very small hail, and even an isolated tornado or two. Not out of the question. Meanwhile, watching several systems up around the Northern Rockies, and that's going to give way to several inches of Intermountain West of snow, which is good news for that region. Let's zoom in on the future radar. Notice that low pressure associated with that cold front off towards the south. That'll help spark a few scattered showers and thunderstorms down across the southeastern Texas, and that'll eventually give way to pockets of heavier rain by midweek for parts of the Tennessee and Ohio River Valley. Meanwhile, again, watching several systems up around the Intermountain West, bringing with it snow chances for the Northern Rockies. And can you tell someone is a Kansas City Chiefs fan? Rob Leach of Linwood, Kansas, taking the time to carve a number 15 out in this field, and he did it without a GPS. Instead, just using an app on his phone. Maybe Patrick Mahomes will see that during a team flyover. I'll warn your Ag Day forecast in just a few. USDA is
1: anticipating wholesale egg prices to start to decrease as the industry continues rebuilding its egg-laying flocks impacted by avian flu. The Economic Research Service putting out this graphic, the white line showing the dramatic rise in wholesale egg prices as shell egg inventories dropped. The agency reporting US egg inventories were twenty-nine percent lower at the end of December. Now it reports that combined with increasing demand due to the holiday baking season resulted in several weeks of record high egg prices. It says the average egg price was 267% higher during the week leading up to Christmas than at the beginning of last year. But did you see this on social media? Claims that the new reason for higher egg prices comes down to chicken feed. That theory gaining steam on Facebook, TikTok and Twitter with some claiming their hens Stop laying eggs and speculating common chicken feed products were the cause. Others went a step further, suggesting feed producers had intentionally made their products deficient to stop backyard egg production. But poultry experts say there's no evidence to the claims. They say while some backyard chickens may be underperforming, they say the issues are unrelated. And major feed suppliers say they haven't changed their formulas. The claims join other recent posts alleging a coordinated effort to undermine the nation's food supply could fallout from that Chinese surveillance balloon impact soybean prices. We'll take a look at that coming up next. And later, we're headed back to Morocco where a growing population is pushing farmers to find ways to feed more people. U.S. soybean farmers say they're ready to help in the country.
4: Ag Day is brought to you by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator Closing Wheels provide quicker emergence and are more consistent in dry conditions than any other closing wheels. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20 percent off an end zone moisture management package.
1: While gas prices have trended lower recently, diesel prices remain elevated. AAA reporting the current average is 4.62 a gallon. A year ago prices stood at 3.80 so prices now are averaging about 80 cents higher. Experts say It's due to recovering demand following the pandemic and limits on refining capacity. Meanwhile, Europe has announced a ban on Russian diesel fuel and other refined oil products due to the war in Ukraine. It's a move to curb its own energy dependence on Russia while also attempting to curb Russia's gains from its energy sector. The move comes shortly after the G7 countries announced a price cap on refined Russian oil products. Soybeans pushed lower to start the week as traders kept a close eye on the political tension between the U.S. and China in the fallout after a Chinese surveillance balloon flew over the U.S. was shot down over the Atlantic Ocean. AgDays' Michelle Rook is back with more in this morning's Markets Now.
2: A mixed day Monday in grain and livestock futures trade. Alan Brugler with Brugler Marketing is with us. And, Alan, so you've been seeing a little pressure, but it seemed like the meal market drugged that market down. Was that due to some of these China tensions, or was that just profit-taking, or what?
5: I think it's primarily profit-taking. We saw the new highs overnight uh, took out the uh, the highs from Friday. We're not quite to the highs we had a few weeks ago, so you do have a little bit of a head and shoulders type setup on the, ch- on the chart there. Uh, no, no sell signal yet, but uh, a failure to, to make it to the, to the, uh, the long time high on the, on the weekly. Uh, again, I think part of it is Argentina speculation, mostly it's profit taking, and maybe just a little bit of risk factor on the China side, but we'd think that would be mostly in the beans rather than the meal.
2: Yeah, well, hopefully we can get closed back above into those contract high areas sometime this week. So what about the corn market? Uh, Choppy and two-sided, and that market has been pretty sideways here. We have not been able to take out overhead resistance on the top side.
5: Yeah, we're actually uh, forming what's called a Bollinger Pinch. The market's just narrowing in. It's it's, it's wrestling between the old crop and new crop fundamentals. Corn export sales, of course, have been poor up to now. We do anticipate they're going to pick up. Uh, second and third quarters, maybe even get up into the 800 million bushel category for the third quarter. But uh, we're so far behind for the year that uh, you know, it's hard to get really bulled up here and think that you need to go above 680 or 690.
2: Yeah, and exports are behind pace. We got a little Japan-Mexico news in terms of flash sales on Monday. But what is the catalyst that could get us over that resistance?
5: Well, I think the the... The most likely would be, a, in terms of short term, would be a big, a big export sale, two and a half million tons to somebody or some combination. Uh, other than that, I think we're kind of waiting on the uh, planning intentions report and the grain stocks report, and those aren't, of course, till the end of March. Those could definitely uh, surprise the market either in terms of old crop production or new crop potential.
2: All right. Well, thanks for joining us, uh, Alan Brugler with Brugler Marketing, and uh, we'll have more Ag Day coming up.
4: To talk to Alan about his ag market professional services, call Brugler Marketing & Management at 402-697-3623 or visit his website www.bruglermarketing.com. Got equipment to sell privately but tired of scams and hassles? Visit machinerypeat.com and click Sell Mine. Machinerypeat.com, the simple and secure way to buy and sell equipment
1: online. just Andrew Whitmire join us here. Take a look at our national forecast as we talk about temperatures. <laughs> it's been a wild ride, but here we are. Uh, it feels like maybe uh, the groundhog got it wrong.
3: Yeah, I think so. This is February 7th here, and you think this was more around uh, mid March here. Taking a look at the national uh, temperature map. Check out 42 in Chicago, 67 in Memphis, 80 in New Orleans. And again, these temperatures uh, again resemble more of a mid March pattern. Than a first full week of February pattern across the lower 48. And again, this mid uh, March uh, looking pattern here for the first uh, few days here into the first full week of February. uh, We're not looking at any big cold uh, in sight here. Looking at temperatures tomorrow morning, especially across the uh, southern plains, midwestern states, and east coast, it's going to feel more like early spring weather here as we head throughout the mid portion of this uh, week. Check out these uh, 50s that we could see a 50 as far north as St. Louis, Chicago reaching the middle to upper 50s and even parts of the UP of Michigan dancing right around 40 degrees here for as we head on into tomorrow's forecast. Let's take a look at our snowfall estimate here and we are going to see a few snowflakes still out there. Winter's not over just yet, uh, but as far as widespread snow, well, we're gonna have to watch for that. at least the northern Rockies and to pick up on some of that. The snow. Meanwhile, we're also going to watch parts of the Great Lakes States and New England coastline later on this week, mainly Friday, Saturday and even on into Sunday where we could see some minor accumulations of snowfall. we got precipitation here over the course of the next 10 days. It's going to be a soaking rain potential up across parts of the Pacific Northwest. Meanwhile, heavy rain potential where we're expecting a few stronger storms later on today down across southeastern Texas as well as across parts of uh, western Louisiana. And we'll see more pockets of some heavier pockets of rain trying to develop across parts of the uh, Tennessee and Ohio River Valley. Here's a look at our severe thunderstorm risk for this Tuesday. A few isolated tornadoes, not out to of the question, but the main thing will be in this tan shaded area will be damaging wind gusts as well as heavy downpours from rain. Walking through the feature radar here as we go throughout this Tuesday, you'll notice that system off towards our south and east. and We'll continue to watch that eventually working its way up across the Midwestern Great Lakes states, bringing with it some heavy rainfall across parts of the Tennessee and Ohio River Valley to end out this week. Let's look around the country. Let's take a look at your Ag Day select cities. Going over to Rockland, Michigan. A few morning flurries, afternoon sun, high 32 degrees. Going over to Kirbyville, Texas. Showers and a few stronger storms possible late in the day, 76 degrees. And going over to Libby, Montana, snow showers, high 38.
1: New school lunch standards are out. We've got details coming up next. And later, we're off to northern Africa to see how South Dakota soybean farmers are working to develop new markets for meal in the country.
4: The Dairy Report on Ag Day is brought to you by Beringer Ingelheim because Cattle First is a remark only made remarkable by you, producers and veterinarians across the country.
1: Improving nutrition for children is a matter of national security, that's according to U.S. Secretary of Ag Tom Vilsack. Last week, he announced new proposed regulations for school cafeteria food. The new proposals include gradually lowering sugar and sodium content in student meals and would also strengthen requirements that encourage schools to use more locally grown food. Vilsack says Congress supports the measures.
0: Congress basically suggested it was the uh, a measure of national security. Uh, to safeguard the health and well-being of our nation's children and to encourage the consumption of domestically produced, nutritious, agricultural uh, commodities. And that's the reason we're here today. Uh, It is an issue of national security. It is an issue that impacts and affects the health and well-being of our children. And obviously, it's an opportunity as well uh, to support our farmers.
1: Now for dairy specifically, USDA is asking for input on whether to keep low-fat flavored milk for all of the nearly 30 million students who consume school lunches each day or limit it to just older kids, with elementary students getting only low-fat, unflavored milk.
0: In the area of milk, uh, we're offering a set of options relative to access to low-fat and uh, fat-flavored milk. Uh, The challenge, I think, for us is to determine who should receive uh, the opportunity for flavored milk. And so we're uh, soliciting input uh, on that very issue. In sodium, we're looking at gradual reductions in both breakfast and lunch offerings. Now we're phasing that in, in in small increments. And why are we doing that? Because the Food and Drug Administration's guidelines are suggesting that that's the most appropriate way uh, to embrace sodium reductions and at the same time uh, continue to have uh, acceptance.
1: USDA says flavored milk is the leading source of added sugars for the school lunch and breakfast programs. Populations in Africa are increasing rapidly, and that means a growing need for protein. We'll show you how U.S. farmers are ready to help in the country, next.
4: In the Country on Ag Day is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need, now on seed, from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com.
1: Morocco's population is projected to increase to over 46 million by the year 2025, which will increase the demand for protein in their diet and their need for feed. Agnes Michelle Rook recently traveled there with South Dakota soybean farmers who are working to expand that market for soybeans and soybean meal.
2: Poultry is the number one protein here in Morocco, and that's why it's an important market for U.S. soybean farmers. Morocco annually produces 3.5 million dairy and beef cattle, 21 million sheep and goats, but a whopping 413 million chickens and turkeys. Poultry accounts for 55% of consumption with a median income of only $3,300 a year. There is no pork production in Morocco, and red meat is expensive so most Moroccans consume poultry on a regular basis. But with a rising middle class and urbanization rate, expanding protein production is the top government priority with projected growth of 20% by 2025.
4: Most of that, almost all of that, is for the poultry industry in Morocco. They also have a growing dairy industry.
2: Production is predominantly farmers with just a few head and less than a hectare of land.
5: There are a a lot of backyard farms small very very small farms uh, poultry, sheep, dairy.
2: 85% of those are slaughtered and offered at local butcher shops. Moroccan is still a wet market for broilers and uh, Moroccan like apparently to consume fresh product not many frozen products. However they are modernizing their production and processing.
5: The younger people have a a tendency to want to buy from supermarkets, processed chicken.
4: Poultry is up and coming and they want to get it more
2: commercialized and once they get a cold chain it's probably going to be a really good market. Companies like Elf Shahel, the largest feed producer in Morocco, are vertically integrated with their own farms in hatcheries. And we dish 1.2 million uh, chicks per week and uh, 1.2 million tons per year in feed meal. And that integration also includes chicken and turkey processing.
3: Today we have the biggest slaughterhouse in Morocco, I think also in Africa, with
2: 6,000 puts per hour for chicken. Which makes Morocco a great customer for U.S. soybean farmers.
3: It's kind of an emerging market, more or less, because the, the, the people of Morocco are looking for more um, chicken in their diet, and uh, chickens eat a lot of uh, soybean meal.
2: But there's also room for growth as Morocco commercializes aquaculture production.
4: And just in the last few years, they're starting to develop a aquaculture industry uh, with sea bass and sea bream.
2: As a result, El Shahel is expanding to manufacture soy-based fish feed, providing yet another outlet for U.S. soy in the future. In Morocco, I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day.
1: All right, thanks Michelle. Coming up tomorrow, she'll take a look at the expansion of the U.S. soy processing industry and its impact on Morocco's feed industry. That's tomorrow, right here on Ag Day. That's all of our time today. We're sure glad you tuned in from all of us here. Have a great day on Farm Project.